Good morning, Riverview family. How are we doing? Good. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Uh, my name is Adam Burmeister, and I'm on staff here as your West Side Venue uh, Coordinator of Student Ministries, leading our 7th and 8th graders and, uh, for, for chaos and element for our high schoolers. One thing about me that you may not know is that I love Christmas. That welcome that I got was like, everybody loves Christmas this year. Awesome. Uh, I love Christmas. We, we decorate way before most of you would approve. We play Christmas music. We watch Christmas movies. I love seeing the tree with way too many presents underneath. I love it. I love it all. Uh, who here has a favorite Christmas carol or Christmas song? Shout them out. Okay, okay, okay. Good. Uh, my favorite, because it's the correct answer, is Oh Holy Night. Uh, but there aren't many that I don't like. There, there are a few, but there's not many. Anyways, we are a few weeks into a new series here at RIV going through the Apostles' Creed. And I'm excited to talk with you all about a fun one today just in time for Christmas. But before we jump in, I'd love to pray for our time together. So would you please pray with me? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we're able to gather together to learn uh, more about you. Please open our ears and our hearts to receive anything good and true. Please help us to leave today with our thankfulness for you and wonder of you higher than it was when we got here. Thank you for being who you are in your, son's Jesus, in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, we're going through the... Uh, the Apostles' Creed, line by line, and my line today couldn't have been more perfectly timed. So, if you're willing and able, please stand with me as we read the Apostles' Creed together. It'll be on the screens for us. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you all. You can grab a seat. I was listening to an interview with Matthew McConaughey a little while back where he was talking about being the minority in Hollywood because of his faith. Uh, he says he's one of not too many Christians out there. In the interview, he said that part of it isn't hard for him. He thinks because he treats people well, they kind of just leave him be about it. But one thing he struggles with in his faith is the miracles. And one of the miracles that he referenced as one of the things that's hard for him to believe is the virgin birth of Jesus. That Mary got pregnant without having sex. Maybe you've had no problem believing in the virgin birth. Maybe you're in the same boat as old Maddie McConaughey. Or maybe you just haven't thought about it too much. Uh, whatever the case, we have a faith that allows for thinking and for questions and all that. So let's take a look. Uh, the Apostles' Creed isn't in the Bible, at least not these words in this order as one succinct statement that we can recite. 
but so where did we get the statement that we're going through today? He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And why does it matter? Does it matter? We're going to look at Mary's story, and then I will explain why it matters and why it is important. This is from Luke 1, 26 to 33. It'll be on uh, the screens for you to follow along. If you want to flip or tap, whatever, you can also do that. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph in the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end." Awesome. So Gabriel has to tell Mary not to freak out because he's an angel, right? He's not just a human being. Um, Before he tells her, she's miraculously pregnant. But this is actually where some people get lost. These verses are why some people don't believe in the virgin birth. The argument is that uh, the word used in the Old Testament prophecy in Isaiah 7.14 for virgin, the Hebrew word almah, means young woman more so than literally virgin. Now, in our day and time and culture, I think it's honestly easy for us to hear that and think, aha, she was young. It doesn't say she was a virgin. But those two things are not mutually exclusive, right? Uh, In their day and time and culture, especially given their Judaism, right, to be young and unmarried pretty much meant being a virgin, it was a big deal for them to remain virgins until marriage. Still, you might argue that that doesn't mean necessarily that Mary was a virgin. All right, let's keep reading. This is Luke 1, verse 34. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Okay, great. So wait, wait, what about the Greek or the Hebrew? What, what she's saying in any language is basically... But I know that when a man loves a woman, yada, 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 I know there's some kids in the room, uh, I could hypothetically, potentially get pregnant. And I haven't done that, so how could I be pregnant? She's saying what we think she's saying. She spells it out for us, right? She's a young woman, yeah. She's also a virgin. She also has not had sex. So now at this point, we can take into account Mary's culture, religious beliefs, integrity, honesty, or we could say she's lying simply to try to wiggle out of believing what the Bible says about this. So Gabriel says the angel, uh, or Gabriel the angel says Mary is going to be pregnant, and Mary asks how because she is a virgin. And then verse 35, the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she uh, has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called 
childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Really quick, uh, another objection I've heard from some people is that this is another story of another God impregnating a human woman, like some Greek mythology or something. It's not. The Bible doesn't say that. It says simply, basically, the Holy Spirit goes, hey, you're pregnant now. And then Mary's body essentially goes, got it. Okay? That's it. There's nothing weird. There, There was some emphasis that a virgin is pregnant. So who is Elizabeth other than a relative of Mary? Well, I kind of skipped over that uh, at the start, so let's jump back and look. This is the same chapter, Luke 1, verses 5 to 7. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. So we're talking about the the miracle of the virgin birth, but before that, it's already getting fun and kind of crazy, okay? So Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, but she's a lot older than Mary. Like it says, she's in old age. Elizabeth and Zechariah had wanted kids, but they just weren't able to have any. Then Zechariah is greeted by our old friend Gabriel the angel, who tells Zechariah that his wife will become pregnant. There's a lot of supernatural stuff going on. One old barren couple gets pregnant, and then one virgin gets pregnant. For nothing will be impossible with God. Luke 1.38, again, this is back to Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. This to me is wild, like almost as wild as a virgin getting pregnant. Almost. She was told by Gabriel not to be afraid, not to freak out, and then was told that she'd be pregnant despite being a virgin. That's crazy. I mentioned cultural differences and all that, but it wouldn't just be an embarrassment to be pregnant outside of wedlock back then. Who would believe that she was a virgin? Would her fiancé leave her? This could be shame of all shames, but it could also literally doom her to a life on the streets. And she doesn't try to get out of it. She doesn't say, wait, 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 wait. How about you wait until after I'm married, the virginity thing can be our secret, we can just move on from there. She doesn't object by saying this could doom her. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Goodness gracious, the the faithfulness and trust displayed here is insane to me. It's amazing. Remember the last thing Gabriel said to Mary before he peaced out. This is Luke 136. Consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. So what does Mary do after, Gabriel, after she tells Gabriel she's willingly on board with the virgin pregnancy? She quickly goes to see Elizabeth. This is Luke 1, 39 to 40. Whoop. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. I wonder what Mary's demeanor is like. So she tells Gabriel she's good. 
And then he leaves and she sprints out the door and runs 60 miles basically over to Portland, Michigan, not Oregon. It's not cool. She, she hurries to a town in the hill country to seek out her elderly cousin who's also miraculously pregnant. So I wonder what's going on in Mary's mind. Like how much was, okay, if she's actually six months pregnant, then that actually happened, right? And if so, if she is actually six months pregnant, Mary has someone to talk to about all this, right? Remember, if she's pregnant out of wedlock, she could lose everything. It would make sense that her fiancé, Joseph, was not her first call with this news, right? Luke 1, 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Blessed is she who believed. Blessed is who? Mary, right? For believing, for being faithful. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Okay, first of all, who's older between Elizabeth and Mary? Elizabeth, right? And it's not even close. She's like way older. More than just a few years. In those days, in that culture, youngers really respected and looked up to olders. They honored them, even revered them. But here, old Elizabeth is honoring Mary. One commentary I was reading this week pointed out that we should note that she did not say that Mary was blessed above women, but among women. And certainly this is true. While we don't want to ascribe to Mary that which only belongs to God, neither do we want to minimize her place in the plan of God. Elizabeth is showing respect and reverence for Mary because she is the mother of my Lord. Elizabeth is in awe of Mary because Mary is carrying Jesus. The focus is on Jesus. Taking a little step back, this is really cool, I think. It says that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. God the Son, Jesus, is in Mary's womb, put there by the Holy Spirit. And Mary is obeying and fulfilling the will of God the Father. So maybe you've heard or read that the Trinity isn't in the Bible. That word, you're right, is not. But here is the Trinity in the Bible. But that's for another time coming up in a few weeks. So, Elizabeth is super excited. Elizabeth's in utero. Baby boy John is so excited he does a backflip or something in the womb. And then Mary gives us the first Christmas carol of all time. One I wish I could hear actually sung because who knows, maybe it would be all of our favorite Christmas carol and we could unite on this until you come around to Holy, Oh Holy Night. But this is verses 46 to 55. We'll read through this and then go through it a little bit. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. 
He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. A lot of times when I pray, I pray for God to use what we're doing in chaos or element to point to him. So Mary is pointing to God, but she's not just pointing to him, right? This song is referred to as the Magnificat because of that first phrase, my soul magnifies the Lord. She's not sinfully proud here. She's not just accepting praise, but she herself is praising. Mary doesn't actually make God greater or bigger somehow, but she's basically a magnifying glass pointing right at him in this moment. She says she's rejoicing in God, my Savior. Mary understands her condition, and the condition I'm talking about is as a sinful human being. Her faith taught her that. Here at Riv, we define sin as any failure to reflect God in nature, attitude, or action. The bad things that we do and the good things that we fail to do. Our sin separates us from God, and nothing we do can earn our way back to him. We need a savior to rescue us from the effects and reality of our sin. The Jewish people were waiting and waiting and waiting for a savior for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But now Mary's spirit rejoices because the savior is nearly here. Her soul is praising God and her spirit is rejoicing so much so that remember she burst randomly into song about it. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. The humility of this woman. This is so great. She isn't saying, well, of course God chose me. I'm amazing. I'm really faithful, right? Mary is amazed and astonished and humbled by the fact that God would choose someone as sinful and lowly as her. But this is the story of the gospel, isn't it? Even the fact that God had Jesus come as a lowly little poor baby. He also uses a poor, unwed teenager, right? In our weakness, God's power is displayed. In our lowliness, our sinfulness, our tininess, is God's greatness the most visible. Her ego isn't magnified or inflating because God is choosing to use her, but she's magnifying him. Even me? God has looked upon me with favor. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. Again, Mary magnifies God and who he is instead of herself. They will call her blessed. Why? Because God has done great things and he is holy. She is blessed because he is holy. Holy means set apart, completely different than, utterly greater than. There's no confusion. Where we are sinful, he is sinless. Where we are weak, he is strong. Where we are untrustworthy, he is truth itself. Where we are faithless, he is faithful. That God, completely and totally bigger and greater and more powerful than that God, came near to us to bring us back to himself. He created a way for the debt of our sin to be paid that had nothing to do with our weakness, our untrustworthiness, or our unfaithfulness. He sent Jesus. He came down to our level 
to rescue us. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. Mary has been so humble, but that stands out because the world is not, right? Humility is so weird that it seems like when people are humble, we can quickly write it off as fake humility as an angle to get something bigger or better for themselves. At least, I don't know about you, I guess, it's easy for me to be skeptical in those situations. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. In a society, in a time where the rich and powerful were exalted while the poor and powerless, powerless were looked down on, you know, back, back then, uh, again, God is not bound to our expectations or our framework. The poor, the powerless, the starving, who we could easily disregard, God chose to rescue and use. It reminds me of a story that I heard uh, about a man in the 1500s named Mark Anthony Miratus. Long story short, he came from a, a really well-off family in France, but he himself ended up on the road, became very poor, and in Italy got pretty sick and he went to the hospital. The doctor there couldn't figure out what was going on, so he called some of his fellow doctors in and they were talking about what they should do. Looking at Mark Anthony Miratus, now a poor wanderer, basically, dirty and sick, they spoke in Latin in the room so that their conversation could be private, even with him right there. One of the doctors came up with the idea that he's obviously a nobody, that nobody would miss, so they should just do some medical experiments on him until he died. Little did they know that Mark Anthony Miratus used to be a scholar and professor was very well educated and spoke Latin. So as they began to discuss the possibility of performing experiments on him until he died, he opened his eyes, looked at them, and said firmly in Latin, in the language that they were using because they assumed he was too dumb to speak it, call no man worthless for whom Christ died. They understandably, surprised and embarrassed, left the room, and when they did, he gathered his strength and snuck out. Call no man worthless for whom Christ died. Who did Jesus die for? Everybody, right? The rich, the poor, the strong, the weak, the living their best life now and the about to die. Call no man worthless for whom Christ died. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. 2,000 years before the pregnant Virgin Mary is singing this song to her old, once barren cousin Elizabeth, God had promised the Jews that he would send a Savior to rescue them. And now that Savior is almost here. Christmas is a celebration of that Savior here. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. For nothing is impossible with God. Let us be like Mary who heard that news and burst into an incredibly joyful song about the goodness and greatness of God. God who chooses the weak and lowly to do great things. Who brought the Savior of mankind into the world, not as a king, but as a baby. Who chose a young virgin woman to be the one to usher him in. Who sent Jesus to live the life that we couldn't live 
die the death that we deserved and rose again to defeat sin, Satan, and death, to bring the weak and lowly back to himself. Maybe at this point you're thinking, yeah, that's great. God doesn't discriminate, neither should we. God loves everybody, so should we, right? But why does it matter if I believe that Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? It does matter because the virgin birth is an essential to the Christian faith. Because it means that Jesus did not inherit the curse of sin and depravity that clings to mankind. This is from Romans 5. It says, Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. If by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? For just as as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Our sin nature started with Adam, not me, in the garden and is passed down from generation to generation through the Father. So Jesus, being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, kind of sidesteps our human nature, our human sin nature, while still allowing Jesus to be born of Mary. It allowed Jesus, fully God, to become also fully man while remaining holy, set apart, different than, sinless, and perfect. Kevin DeYoung, a pastor once on campus in East Lansing but now in North Carolina, said if Mary wasn't really a virgin, if Joseph was the real father of Jesus or Mary had been sleeping around, Jesus is not spotless, not innocent, and not perfectly holy. And as a result, we have no mediator and no salvation. If Jesus had a sin nature, then he would not have been an adequate substitute for us to pay the price for our sin. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin or the cost and consequence of our sin is death. Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death by having no sin yet paying for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, let me get there, says it this way. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The virgin birth matters because it means that Jesus did not sin, but he also did not even know sin through a sin nature that we've all inherited, going all the way back to old Adam in Genesis. Because of that, he could lay his life down for us sinful, weak, and lowly people, so that in him we could put on his faithfulness, righteousness, and holiness. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. How can that belief change us? It can reinforce the reality that God is God and we are not. We can sit back in our smallness and worship him for being able to do what is impossible for us to do. We can thank God for knowing and loving every single person and be amazed that he created a way to save us for eternity and then sent Jesus to sidestep sin and save us himself. Will you please pray with me? 
God, thank you that you don't forget or ignore the weak, the poor, and the hurting. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for Mary and her humility and for her setting an amazing example for us of magnifying you. Please help us to live with that humility, which is a reflection of the gospel. Help us to not disregard anybody because of any circumstances that they're in, but like you, help us to pursue them and love them. Help us to magnify the Savior conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. Our mighty King Jesus, born in a lowly manger. God, you're awesome. Amen.